I expected you to show up in a blue suit with a red tie now that you're the CEO, but oh, you're still in a t-shirt like me. Tyler has worked with 30 different uh, law enforcement agencies around the world in 19 different countries, including US, including Ukraine, including Israel. Basically more heavily invested in treasuries than many of the largest countries in the world. I think it's extremely scary. Although we have a strong investigation team, uh, we don't have 200,000 people. I have long made the argument that outside of Bitcoin, the killer app for crypto is stablecoins. People in countries with hyperinflating currencies don't generally rush into Bitcoin or other cryptocurrencies. They have a thirst for dollars and they can't get them on the black market. They can't get their hands on cash, but what they can get their hands on is digital dollars. And the most popular one, of course, is USDT also known as Tether. I once again had an amazing conversation with Paolo Arduino, now the CEO of Tether, and we discussed why the market cap of Tether has increased so much, why in countries like Brazil, it's 80% of all crypto transactions, and of course, why there's still endless fear, uncertainty, and doubt surrounding the company. You don't wanna miss this one. That's dope. Well, Paolo, first of all, uh, congratulations. I heard you got a new job. Yes, thank you very much, Scott. <laughs> so uh, I guess it's uh, probably more of the same for you, right? Yeah, it's the uh, same old, same old uh, business as usual. So uh, what's the difference between being a CTO and CEO? A great question. I think that uh, now people expect... Uh, um, you know, less techy stuff and uh, more more business things. But um, I'm being always uh, excited about strategy and business. I've been carried that over at Tether for for the last uh, two years anyway, right? So, and uh, I'm a spokesperson, so it just means says I expected you to show up in a blue suit with a red tie now that you're the CEO, but oh, you're still in a t-shirt like me. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the cool CEOs that have t-shirts wear t-shirts. That's right. Steve Jobs and uh, Mark Zuckerberg made it okay for everybody to just wear the same yep. t-shirt that you and I are wearing right now every single day. But but more seriously, obviously, uh, that congr congratulations on that. I know it's probably not a big deal to you, but it, it seems like a, a very big, big move. Listen, can you just give us the update right now on where things are with Tether? Obviously, I think last time we spoke, you had just reported that quarter and had done obviously astoundingly well. We discussed the fact that uh, that was largely because a lot of your money was in the United States treasuries, earning high yields. Those yields have seemingly only gone up. And I saw that you guys had a, even another attestation more recently that even now a higher percentage percentage of your holdings are in cash and cash equivalents. Yeah, um, I mean, the last uh, attestation that was just published few days ago um, is another um, I think proof of our uh, willingness to provide farther and farther public information. So first of all, another great quarter. So the net operating profits are still around um, $1 billion. Um, the, uh, there was um, uh, a public disclosure of an investment um, that we made into um, mining um, and mining companies and mining uh, opportunities and a few other areas. As we stated in our attestation, our report, that is outside of the consolidated report. So it means that we didn't use Tether UADT reserves 
who perform those purchases and investments. So we took uh, part of the profits of the last quarter in order to make these investments. So they are fully kept outside of the reserves, not kept as reserves or counted as reserves. So no one can say as well, but mining is, uh, is tricky, it's difficult. So what if, uh, you know, you lose uh, all your equipment goes on fire? Are you going to lose your money? No. That is outside of consolidated uh, research. That is not at all impacting our research. So um, the excess reserves that we have on top of the 100 reserves that we that are back in USDT are still accounting for 3.2 billion dollars. So that is um, um, always uh, our goal to make sure that the USDT as a token remains overly back, overly collateralized. Right? We are around one one. 104%, all over collateralized. So uh, still we want to show our commitment uh, to the strength, to maintain the strength of uh, USDT. We have seen that USDT in the last uh, two months have traded almost consistently, also in these last uh, three, four weeks, because it traded consistently above the dollar and above uh, the market price of our main competitor. So. Uh, that also uh, is a, a, a sentiment of the market and also, you know, when, when there is something happening in the market, people turn more and more to USDT. The, uh, uh, the uh, other um, important part of uh, our station is that um, Tether still holds around $72.6 billion in U.S. Treasury bills between direct exposure and indirect exposure. Just to clarify, I think it's important. We we got some questions. The direct exposure is the direct ownership of T-bills. Undirect comes from money market funds and uh, overnight reverse repos fully collateralized in the uh, U.S. T-bills. So uh, the total is $72.6 billion. So we still put us above Mexico, Australia, and UAE in ownership of U.S. T-bills. That's just astounding to me. I mean, we've talked about that obviously in the past, but the fact that you're basically more heavily invested in treasuries than many of the largest countries in the world should be an indication that you should be supported by the United States, right? I would say so. Yeah, I would say so too, but we've seen some pretty uh, wild accusations coming once again from the government. I have to say I was really surprised Obviously, we went through the entire fake news situation of Hamas being funded by terrorists and Elizabeth Warren's letter to Congress with 100 other congressmen and senators that we saw. But even after that was proven fake, Cynthia Lummis, who we all view as very, I think, uh, open-minded on Bitcoin, very crypto-forward, she's proposed stablecoin legislation, had this curious letter that said that the DOJ should finish investigating Binance and Tether and effectively pursue charges. And it was based on fake news that it had been used to help fund terrorism. Can you unpack that a bit for me? Because I found it very, very strange and surprising. Yeah, I mean, I uh, the term that I would use is sad because I think that uh, Tatar more and more has been proven, had proven to be a good ally to the United States. Um, I was mentioning just a few minutes ago how much of the uh, uh, of interest we have in uh, in U.S. bills, so we consider that the most uh, solid asset, on the real world asset that someone could hold 
uh, in its portfolio. And also, I strongly believe that we strongly believe that uh, Tether is helping the hyperdolarization of the world. So, should we consider? Nevertheless, yes, you're right. A letter based on misinformation from they started from an article published by the Wall Street Journal that the um, Wall Street Journal took weeks to retract because it was full of misinformation. That article was uh, accounting for um, you know a level of usage of cryptocurrencies to help illicit uh, activities that was off by 200 times, right? It's not like a small difference, right? So they did a really poor job and in uh, in tracking those numbers. And of course, someone could argue that, you know, maybe it was a mistake. My opinion was not really a mistake, right? There was a message that the Wall Street Journal tries to send on behalf of their friends of the old establishment or the banking establishment. That's something that I, you know, that triggers at least my mind. Um, so also the time they took, I mean, if I was a journalist, right? So if I was a journalist, someone writes me, I know that Nick Carter pinged them many times saying, hey, you know, your data doesn't make, even make sense, right? That your data is, is fully researched and there are tunnel chain analysis made a huge uh, investigation and it proved that that information was uh, overly uh, wrong. And so why you are not retracting the article? It took a, a week to write like a couple of lines saying, yeah, yeah, maybe the data was not, was a little and bit And nobody off. sees the retraction ever, yeah. ever. Exactly. So I think was um, potentially, you know, uh, this uh, this uh, article was treated with uh, an ulterior motive in my opinion. And, uh, you know, that, that's fine. I think is uh, in the end, it's, um, you know, they are, um, I think um, it's a race of desperation of the, you know, we'll see how it will play out. But unfortunately, the sad part is that uh, in, in, it was uh, used by by people in the U.S. Congress to um, to to pinpoint certain issues that, again, um, are based on information that is incorrect. So if uh, we have been public about the fact that Tether has worked with um, 30 different uh, uh, law enforcement agencies around the world in 19 different countries, including US, including Ukraine, including Israel. So we froze for on behalf of the, uh, the law enforcement, uh, different law enforcement agencies around the world, um, different accounts uh, that might have been linked with illicit activity. Over time, also considering the hacks, you know, the hacks, the DeFi hacks, the exchange hacks who have been and are the vast majority of these funds. Um, and they, in total, we froze $800 million uh, worth of pattern working closely with law enforcement. And when I see right in the letter uh, that uh, it, it was alleged that Tether is not working proactively with law enforcement, that is completely wrong. We have been working proactively with the law enforcement, uh, with the Department of Justice. Probably we are going to share some information about that. We are, um, we always um, been uh, extremely um, dedicated to, to monitor also the secondary markets uh, through instruments like chain analysis. But the, the most important uh, misconcept is that 
first of all, Tether has a sophisticated compliance and investigation team in the company, right? Uh, our CCO, Chief Compliance Officer, comes from uh, an important job uh, in his previous life uh, and has been awarded uh, a few times and, and is part of the um, icons, um, so as, uh, you know, um, as one of the ways that you can understand what is our commitment in, in combating crime is, um, um, our, uh, our investigation department has direct lines with many law enforcement agencies around. Now, the, um, the other important part that uh, I need to mention is that, uh, our competitors and most of exchanges only act when they get um, a judge order. So, and for law enforcement, obtaining a judge order takes weeks or months. And, uh, in, and while Tether, understanding the importance of ensuring that an instrument like uh, USDT is not used by bad actor, we rely on law enforcement uh, letters that of course we verify and we uh, we make sure that they are they contain the right elements. Nevertheless, that is the proof that compared to our competition, compared to banks, also we have a better and more efficient standard of collaboration with law enforcement. Again, including the Department of Justice. So thinking that till today we never worked or we had we needed a, a push. You know, or slapping on a slap or from the Department of Justice to collaborate with them, that is not correct. We have been always, always um, forthcoming and uh, trying to do our best to be seen at a good ally. Uh, Cynthia Lummis, the, the senator, not only did she send that letter, but then she actually admitted in a Twitter thread afterwards that it was based on fake news, which she used to attack her political opponents. But then still didn't really apologize. I found it very strange. Look, I mean, I everyone makes mistakes. I don't. We don't need a. Um, we don't need an orgy. I think um, I, it's important that uh, we all keep an open discussion, also with uh, with uh, uh, members of Congress, um, so that we can at least explain what we are doing, how we are doing it. We wish we had the opportunity to explain our procedures. That are these are not marketing procedures, right? So helping bad actors is uh, is something that no one should do. And in no a company in the position of Tether, that is a healthy company, is making good profit and so on, has everything to lose in not collaborating with law enforcement. And so that's what we did. We have also been criticized to be even too zealous to be collaborating with law enforcement. So seeing that we get these type of letters um, from um, from a group that anyway has sustained the usage, the good usage of cryptocurrencies around the world is, is quite sad. You can't really win because you get attacked by both sides. We know that that's how the world works, but you get the legislators complaining on one side and then on the other side, you'll be told by the crypto community that you're not decentralized enough and that you should not be working with law enforcement yeah. at all. I think that everybody understands that. Can you actually... Walk me through a bit how these types of transactions or bad actors are actually identified. You sort of hinted at the fact that a lot of the time it comes from the government sending a request. 
Is there ever a time when you guys identify something that you think clearly might be from a bad actor and you report it in the other direction or you freeze it of your own volition? Sure. Let me explain a little bit the details there, right? So first of all, we have as Tether the primary market. The primary market is our platform. So when issuers, uh, companies, or uh, accredited people that, uh, that went through a thorough KYC AML process could, in fact, um, work directly with us, with Tether. The process is extremely thorough. It requires a lot of documentation and in-depth analysis of, of uh, the counterparty. Um, we, um, in this moment, right, so Tether has only uh, a limited number of active customers because the majority of Tether users, not customers, users, are using secondary market blockchains, but the most of people are using exchanges to acquire USDP or sell in USDP. Then there is a limited group of people just because they, they have a thorough compliance department and they can, um, they can, they are in position then to collaborate, uh, um, with us. They are issuing everything directly USDT through that. Now it's important to note that no one of our customers on the primary market ever been found in any sort of uh, position to have dealt with um, with pumps uh, or or city. Now, uh, on the secondary market, that is the other part. Secondary markets mean blockchains and exchanges. Blockchains are you know transport layers for USDT, uh, and exchanges are usually are central exchanges that they have their own customer base. So what we do is that we leverage analysis as a software as a platform to identify and understand how USDT is being used on the secondary market. So um, I would say that uh, uh, most of the time, law enforcement and of course, you know, we have, as I said, we work with 30 different law enforcement agencies around the world. So law enforcement have the capacity to uh, to monitor more, more, more frequently and deeply the markets then uh, Tether team, although we have a strong investigation team, uh, we don't have 200,000 people, right? So right. Um, imagine all law enforcement agencies around the world, they have, of course, more capacity than C. Um, of course, that, that, is, that is all news. But nevertheless, it happened quite a few times that Tether identified suspicious um, activities before um, law enforcement, and hence we communicated directly to law enforcement, um, providing the, con the, the context um, and uh, providing our thoughts. So uh, this process is called filing a suspicious activity report. Um, Tether is registered with FinCEN, so has an obligation not only to respond when a law enforcement agency contact them, but also um, to file proactively suspicious activity reports. So we do both sides, right? We are proactive uh, in the way we can using the tools that were at disposal. And also we are helpful voluntarily because this is the key, the key term, right? So also in the letter, still in the letter uh, written, it seemed like we needed to be forced into action. There is nothing more wrong than that. We always collaborated with law enforcement voluntarily. Yeah, that, that's a great explanation. Thank you for sharing it. It's interesting. It's it's almost like trying to punish Apple for the way that somebody uses an iPhone, 
right? I mean, you you create yeah. the technology, but uh, you can't help if a terrorist or a drug dealer uses an iPhone to do something illicit, right? And so, yeah, I don't understand how Tether should be held accountable for what two people do through a third party that has effectively nothing to do with you, but you're still expected to police that. Yeah, indeed, we have to, um, I think, again, we have to also keep educating from our side, uh, showcasing the tools that we have at our disposal and the fact that uh, we are uh, the good actors and we are much more efficient than the banking industry. The banking industry takes ages to do anything and to freeze, to freeze funds. They have a limited view of what is happening. They, you know, they don't have 24-7 uh, type of, uh, the 24-7 ability of reacting. Our reaction time average is 15 minutes, right? So these are things that, uh, you know, what, you know, I'm sorry for the Wall Street Journal, but, uh, you know, they will never be able to compete because that is the old guard's finance. Right. Well, let's talk about the that those transactions because there's been some pretty uh, astounding reports of late. One was obviously about USDT adoption and usage in Brazil, saying that it made up 80% of all crypto transactions and was more than all other crypto transactions combined. So Bitcoin, Ethereum, other stable coins, all those transactions didn't even add up to how many were being done with USDT. So what does that say to you about the adoption of your asset in places like Brazil, where there's a thirst, obviously, for access to U.S. dollars. So uh, that is actually the things that we should talk about. And I, of course, it was important to clarify, you know, this misunderstanding, you know, that uh, went on for the last two weeks. But this is the potential of USDT. This is the potential of a currency that is actually being used by as there are hundreds of millions of people, good people, right? Tether, we account for in this moment, our estimation is around 300 million people around the world are using Tether to protect themselves from inflation, to have a fair access uh, and easy access to banking services that they wouldn't have otherwise. And most of them, even if they would have some banking access, you know, they, they're, you know, they are not they are not there to trade Shiba Inu, right? They are not there to trade Doge. You can see that, like you said, in Brazil, 80% of all crypto transactions are USDT transactions. These people need help, need access to the dollar, the strongest fiat currency in the world. And so that's what Tether stands for. That is what Tether stands for safety for them. It's a lifeline, lifeboat that they can use every day to protect themselves, their family, their their family savings from the devaluation of their national currency. That is what we should talk about. It's not just Brazil. Argentina has the same numbers. Also in Argentina, around 80% of total crypto transactions is FTT. Turkey is the same, right? We go in all the other in countries in in, uh, in Central Asia, is the same. And so these, these are stories that we need to hear more. We need to pinpoint more because you know, if there is a bad actor, we prove that we can catch it. But there are 300 million good actors that are using this technology, and uh, we should start, start to understand how it works rather than demonizing. I mean, Bitcoiners have long described that exact process and that exact problem as the reason that people in all of these countries should buy Bitcoin. But we see from the evidence that what people really want are dollars, right? And if that's a tokenized dollar, 
so be it, or or that's even better for them, arguably. But why do you think that we're not seeing the same level of Bitcoin adoption in places with hyperinflation and, and where they need protection from their currency? Look, um, I think the uh, issue with Bitcoin is that, first of all, I mean, I'm a Bitcoiner, but you know, the reality of things is that people have urgent needs, right? That are Bitcoin is harder to understand. People don't know how to hedge themselves with futures, right? So someone is selling groceries, someone is selling, is, uh, is, is driving a taxi, you know, there are for sure some, some good taxi drivers, well, taxi drivers that uh, understand that uh, have, you know, a more interest in technology and trading for sure. But the vast majority of people in this world, they don't have time to understand trading and fundamentals of each cryptocurrency as strong as before. So they understand the dollar. They understand the dollar, they understand the gold, right? So those are the two things that they have been aware of for most of their lives. And so that for them means dollar means protection, means um, being able to, to, to protect their seeds. And so Bitcoin is not yet understood by everyone. So I'm a Bitcoiner, but I'm trying to not be an obnoxious Bitcoiner that pretends that everyone should have, you know, a you know, a science degree and a math degree and an engineering degree all together. And uh, if they don't understand it, that is their fault. No, we, it's our job to make it more understandable. It will take time. It will take education, infrastructure. In the meantime, I think USDT is a great choice and also will bring more and more people towards digital wallets. And then from those wallets, they can also purchase it. I think we've talked about this before, but I just want to circle back to it. I'm always surprised every time I see where the volume of USDT is happening because it's seemingly the mass bulk of it is on Tron, right? A, ch a train chain that I think not many people talk about. It's been a meme in the past, obviously. People joke about it, but at the end of the day, it seems like people want to transact in digital dollars fast and cheap, and they don't really care about anything else. Again, people, 99% of the people that are using USDT, those 300 million users that uh, you know, on secondary markets that USDT uh, is, uh, is accounting for, it's a uh, part of our own centralized exchanges, of course. Uh, I would say the, the majority are on centralized exchanges. The others that are not on centralized exchanges, they are using a solution that works that is simple to use, is fast and cheap. Tron had four years before we launched USDT on Tron in 2018. Tron had four years of first mover advantage before the first series layer two on Ethereum came out. And so, you know, it's it's not a problem of Tron. It's a problem that people or the, the developers on the Ethereum side took so much time to develop a uh, uh, and here too, and now they cannot complain that the Toronto has you know, a huge market share. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. And there's also other technological complications to doing it on a layer two versus a layer one, right? I mean, it's just not yeah. that easy with UX UI versus just simply opening a Tron wallet, hitting send or and receiving your, your money. Yeah, I completely agree with that. Do you then think that other layer ones like Solana could start to take that dominance. Obviously, Solana right now has been, you know, moving massively in price, which drives all the narratives surrounding it as the new chosen or anointed blockchain. But we do know that 
kind of like Tron, it's become much faster and cheaper than certainly Ethereum. Yeah, I mean, you know, everyone has, you know, there are different arguments for the different chains. Again, the first mover advantage is the equating portal, right? So it's hard to beat. Um, so it's hard to take it out from uh, away from uh, from Tron. The the other and uh, now I'm, I'm sounding like a Tron Maxi, but you know I'm like super agnostic when it comes because for USDT blockchains are transport layers. If you were asking me, I would prefer Tron to be on Liquid for a blockstream and on RGB. That is a protocol that is uh, you know lightning assets basically. That would be my preference, but in the end, it's a free world. People will use USDT on all the transport layers that we made available to them, and they will pick their best. Also, Tron has, I think, a simple advantage. For any integrators, it's super easy to run a Tron node. It's a Java binary, you compile it, you build it, you run it. It doesn't consume many resources. And people will say, yes, it doesn't compute too many resources because it's centralized. Well, I mean, ton of other blockchains are centralized and weighted to a certain degree. So, I mean, the, but again, and go back to the point that people, most of the people, most of the integrators don't have time to waste. They want something that works. And also, USDT is anyway centralized. So the fact that the transport layer less or more centralized doesn't matter. Yeah, that 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 makes a ton of sense because once you understand that Tether is centralized and that's not something that you apologize for, it's by design. Why would you really care which way you send it? You talked about the fact that you would rather see this on Liquid, RGB. Obviously, we have not seen the proliferation of popular stable coins on Bitcoin. We have seen a lot more, I think, in the last six months, interest in building things that exist in other places on Bitcoin. But why do you think we have not seen sort of the popularity of stable coins, because it does seem like a very obvious place for it. Yeah, the difference, I mean, I, I'm kind of uh, for sure today, I'm not attracting too much popularity, but I think the difference is that uh, Bitcoin and Bitcoin sidechains don't have a spending budget or a marketing budget. So if you launch a new blockchain, new layer one that has a token, you are going eventually to sell part of those tokens to to create a buffer um, in order to have a marketing budget that could you to list your token um, and have your blockchain supported by many exchanges. Because that process, uh, adding your token on, on many exchanges could cost million dollars to tens of millions of dollars, depending on what you want to do. So Bitcoin doesn't have a budget, right? So it's uh, Bitcoin is uh, something that everyone has to mm, there is proof of work, that's it, right? So companies that are only in the Bitcoin space, they can only have a budget if there is capital for it, but, um, you know, um, and, and that's it, there is no money creation. And so that, of course, makes things more, more difficult, but also it's true that this is a marathon and, um, you know, it, uh, it, it's in, it only matters for waste at the end. So you think that in the end, we could see, obviously, stable coins on Bitcoin winning. I tend to agree with you. And actually, I agree with your explanation. It just seems too obvious not to happen. It, well, now that um, Tether has a good budget, then we are going to help taking care of it. Well, you guys buy a lot of Bitcoin too, right? Well, it's, uh, we, believe, um, you know, we, it's, we believe in it, right? We believe that is a great hedge that uh, is... 
us and Sailor, right? So we are kind of aligned in, in the vision that uh, in the end, with all the craziness that is happening in the world, it's hard to argue that there is something better than Bitcoin. And the price is confirming that at the moment. <laughs> it doesn't always, of course, but it has been really interesting, I think, to see Bitcoin rise double since last year, obviously, at the bottom after FTX. Seemingly just went from 20, 25, 31. Here we are almost at 35 now, but in an environment, as you described, where the world seems to be on the decline, right? Uh, more uh, wars, certainly a lot of global uncertainty around economics and markets. Are you surprised at all to finally see Bitcoin uncorrelated? I've always argued that it's uncorrelated anyways, but some will say that it just decoupled. Are you surprised though that it's been able to sort of do this well in this part of the cycle and in context of what's happening around the world? Well, I think it's, uh, it's uh, kind of sad that uh, uh, the rise of Bitcoin can be correlated to um, geopolitical uncertainty, but is the way it is, look at all the gold. Um, gold, I think, uh, on a Friday when, you know, there was uh, the peak of uncertainty of potential attacks and so on rose to above $2,000 uh, per ounce, right? So uh, all the assets that are considered as the hedge assets for, you know, potential global reset um, are or going to always to thrive under in, in these specific moments in time. Of course, that is you know, not only the value of Bitcoin. Bitcoin is uh, is the money that can become money for every day. Is money that uh, you know you can control, makes you free, and so on. Um, but also, uh, someone could imagine that uh, the fear of potential escalation of conflicts could push more and more people towards Bitcoin faster pace. Do you see a world where? It's basically Bitcoin in your wallet as your savings account and Tether in your wallet as your money for spending. I know we've described Tether obviously as a savings technology as well, certainly for people outside the United States. But could you see a world where you've effectively opted out of physical cash or your bank account and you're basically holding Bitcoin for one purpose and then you're spending your Tether to get by every single day? I think so. I think that there are different ways to look at it. That definitely the saving part, I would agree that especially with the consolidation of Bitcoin, it will take years, right? So now, right now, let's think. So right now, I think the the market cap of uh, of uh, gold is quite higher than and market cap of gold is around twelve trillion, something like that, and uh, Bitcoin is uh, is uh, seven hundred, six hundred, seven hundred. So it's still quite far, right? So it needs to grow uh, a lot in order to become more stable. Gold now is stable because um, the the liquidity is so high and is so diverse that it, it is has a steady price. You know, it is the price is stable now. Bitcoin will need to get to that stability in order to be a proper um, saving account for not for the the believers but for for everyone. Then on the checking account, I think GSDT is great for, for the future. I would argue that eventually people might also want to use something like Tether Gold to have, um, again, something that uh, that is uh, still um, good for payments, could use like, um, you know, some sort of a layer two chain. Um, and uh, in the end, gold has been used throughout humanity as payment system. So. 
the the concern is that uh, um, the U.S. dollar, given how much he's been printing this moment, might might lose a little, not compared to the others, but uh, uh, in the end, uh, at least absolutely, at least compared to Bitcoin, might lose purchasing power. Right. So someone could argue that it's not Bitcoin up going up, but is the dollar going up and also the rest of the other. Uh, sorry, the uh, going dollar down. going down, and uh, alongside with all the other currencies. Yeah, you talked about Tether Gold, which I think is a very interesting point there. We're also seeing that one of the main narratives, I think, in the space in general right now, and I think one that may drive part of this next cycle is RWA, right? Real world assets on chain. I was actually very surprised when I looked into the amount of tokenized T-bills and treasuries already on chain and who was doing it, right? Franklin Templeton is one of the largest asset managers in the world. I think they have 300 million in AUM in tokenized uh, T-bills, and that's already up to a billion So, it, as total AUM. So there are 300 million of it, but there's a total of a billion with others like Maple Finance, et cetera. I mean, do you think that, I guess, as a next level of that question, Bitcoin and Tether in your wallet, do you think we can get to a world where so many real world assets are tokenized that you can basically just exist in this economy entirely and opt out? Well, that would be definitely ideal, but it doesn't necessarily pay well with um, security slows. Um, um, one of the classic points that I or questions that I get is when Tether will share some interest. I know that some of our competitors are doing that, but um, sharing interest or it would mean that people would hold your token with the expectation of, uh, of making money, right? And getting a yield out of it. And that makes it um, a security. That makes it a financial product. And so, yes, the, the we want to see a world where tokenization <clears throat> makes uh, access to assets more more easy. But also, it um, this access to assets will not be free without KYC. Will not be will not be open to everyone. Right. So it's a different transport layer again. These are going to be assets that are regulated. I mean, pretty sure that the, the current tokenized T-bills, you cannot, I, I would, maybe I'm wrong, but I'm sure that, well, I'm almost sure that you can apply them all on US, right? Yeah. Um, so because they are securities, so again, as securities, then sure, you can, you can buy them and you can have, hold them in your wallet on chain, but if the issuer fails, Right. If the issuer, you mentioned that, okay, maybe, maybe the US uh, T bills are split. We, we think that they're still split. But imagine that you have a T bill of a, or like a bond from a small company. Sure. You can probably it on your wallet, but if the company goes, you have most of your money anyway. That's the point of, there is a huge distinction between having a um, centralized asset that like stable coins or like, uh, you know, T bills or whatever using a decentralized platform layer like a blockchain or having real decentralized tokens like or coins like Bitcoin, right? So blockchains are great for, for many use cases. They are cool for also real world assets, but not necessarily are going to add more protection to the holders of the real world assets because they are inherently centralized. And where do you think central bank digital currencies fall into this mix? So I think the uh, CBDCs are interesting, um, but uh, I'm not really bullish on those. First of all, I don't think they are going to be a threat to Tether. Um, uh, I just think that um, they are hard for government to make that, that them happening, right? The part, of course, China is, is paving the way, 
But Europe, I know that they are really keen in having in in having a digital euro. But that is uh, extremely difficult for them for multiple reasons. First of all, they could completely kill European banking system because they would take away thirty percent of all transactions from the banks, and people will so all the people working on the banks will be without a job. That is the first thing. Second, then you would be a situation where, as a customer, right now you can choose your bank, or you can choose your credit card. So any transaction, you know, you buy a coffee, right, at you know, at the coffee shop, and uh, you, um, you now your transaction, your purchase stays with you and your bank or your credit card. Imagine a world where suddenly all the transactions are settled with central bank, and now wrong. Well, this would wrong that the governments could know at any point in time, imagine based on your purchases during the day, people can know where you are. So imagine if suddenly governments could know the exact location, the exact habits of each one of their citizens. I think it's extremely scary, right? So it's not, you don't have more the filter of a bank. You, you can think whatever you want about a bank, but it's, at least it's acting as a filter between you and the government that might not be necessarily super nice. Yeah, the privacy aspect of it is terrifying. I was just curious if it would uh, impact directly private stable coins if they tried to ban them or anything like that. I, to be honest, the United States, I think, has made it exceptionally clear that they have no intention of moving towards a central bank digital currency anytime soon. I love that, you know, obviously people in the crypto community are very passionate about this and, and fearful of it, but you alluded to how difficult that would be. And, and in my mind, once you turn that switch on, you can't turn it off. So exactly. they would have to be very sure that it worked perfectly. And I mean, I think just the scale of doing that is so astronomically hard to imagine that it's just not coming anytime in the near future in the United States. Yeah, this for central bank is like playing 5D chess game with the entire economy, right? <laughs> so sure, you can you can be brilliant and the, the, the biggest genius in the earth. But if you make a mistake, there is no, you know, and it's really easy to make mistakes because it's hard to predict, right? It's like, um, you know, a butterfly, but it is a wings somewhere in the world and, uh, and a catastrophe happens somewhere else, right? So you will know it's, it's going to be hard to fly to the ball if something bad happens. Imagine if we get a central bank digital currency and then the wallets are used to fund terrorism, then what's the government going to do? <laughs> Yes, who are they exactly. going yeah. to go after, right? Because it's the yeah. exact, it, it, when you think about it in that level, the fact that they come after Tether as a company or any of the actual assets or the technology that are agnostic is so seemingly absurd. Yeah, unfortunately, yes. So you talked about the first mover advantage of Tron, and that's the reason largely that they are so popular and so many Tether transactions happen on that chain. Do you think that's part of the success of Tether itself? because you guys were sort of the first large uh, stable coin that you had the first mover advantage. Because when you look at market cap, you guys are obviously absolutely crushing everybody else, A. And B, you talked about also the fact that even in the current market, often it's trading at a premium, right? Which shows you that people value it over other options. We at Tether use the concept of real world ecosystem, right? And everyone today talks about real world assets. But we think... Uh, and uh, I'm going to say the third thing that would not uh, make me gain popularity today. But uh, so the the real world ecosystem beats Web three hundred to one, right? So 
Web3 is one, is an ecosystem that of course is cute, could open doors to progress in, in gaming and, and different things. But again, people's lives are made by other things. They need other tools. They need, they need other types of infrastructure that are more essential to, to their, um, to their families. Right. And that's, so you never see in Tether doing, uh, you know, web play rock shows on this and that, not because we are not looking at them, but our focus is in building real world ecosystems. That's what we are doing, having co-founded Keith as a peer peer channel. We think that you can easily grow to 1 billion users. We are doing many other projects similar to Keith to keep building our ecosystem that is made by simple applications. Of course, it needs a lot of work, but it will be made by simple applications that can fulfill needs of the, in, in the day-to-day people lives. I want to give you a fourth chance to say something unpopular. So I'm going to set you up. We've heard about the flipping many times of Ethereum flipping Bitcoin in market cap. Do you think that Tether could ever flip Bitcoin in market cap? No, but uh, maybe Ethereum, yes. Okay, well then I made you, see now you, I could have given you four and five in the same sentence. <laughs> Let's talk about that. How do you think then that Ethereum could, I, I think it could by the way too, but the caveat being that I don't think it matters at all which one has a larger market cap and it's yeah. a stupid narrative. Yeah, it's it's all, look, it's all folklore, right? So well, we are humbled with the market cap we have. I mean, we are not measuring our success uh, right. with the market cap. We, of course, is good. We, you know, it's profitable. But in the end, we, as I stated, um, I think at the beginning, the vast majority of what Tether makes remains in the company, gets reinvested in infrastructure, in ecosystem. You know, the um, we believe that uh, it, that is the only thing that matters, right? So, um, you know, it's uh, we we are also we we think that uh, there are many other projects that deserve to to grow uh, in 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 the future. So you know we we don't like usually to participate to um, to religion wars when it comes to you know this technology. I don't like to get into the religion wars either. It does feel like though right at this moment I write a newsletter every day and literally today's newsletter was about the most unpopular asset, the most hated asset right now being Ethereum. It just seems like we're in that part of the cycle now where irrationally everybody's chosen that's the thing they hate because it's just not doing as well as Bitcoin in price. And I just look back four years in the cycle and every time and it just seems like we're exactly where we're supposed to be. Are people in for the tech though and not for the price? Of good now, yeah. Well, they're always in it for the tech, <laughs> except for when the price is down, right? That's that's why they, everybody always uh, they they really loved their NFTs, which were a part of their deep part of their soul when the price was up. But now that they're worth a penny, uh, you don't yeah. see as many as many people, I guess, identify with them. Before I let you go, any other final thoughts? Anything else we might have missed here? Um. Well, just there is going to be adopting Bitcoin in El Salvador. I'm going to be there next week. So if you're around, come and awesome. and, and, and see me. I'm happy always to talk nerd to a nerd. <laughs> yeah, well, it, it, these days it's good because when you go to the conferences, it is only us nerds, right? It's <laughs> not it's not like tens of thousands of retail people with uh, Ford Ape t-shirts on anymore. It's just uh, developers. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah, so I don't mind. I like, uh, I like my crowd. 
Yeah, it's nice and quiet. Uh, the bear market, they always say, is a good time for building it. But uh, I can't, I'm not going to lie and say I'm not really looking forward to the next raging bull market because okay. it's a lot of fun as well. Yes, it's fun as well. Yes, I cannot deny that. <laughs> All right, Paulo, man. Thank you so much as always. And uh, one day, one day we're going to start a show without having to talk about the newest flavor of FUD against Tether. I didn't even intend to do it again, to be honest. It's not like that's why this was scheduled, but I feel like it's like now just our recipe to knock it out at the beginning and get it out of the way so we can have a real conversation. Well, thank you very much, Scott, for giving me always a, a way to talk through all the FUD and explain what's going on. Thank you for doing it. Appreciate it. Thanks, man.